For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. So welcome, Bodhisattvas, to our wonderful practice together. It's amazing. Just kind of feel delight that we're able to be together, both here in Lincoln Square on the ground and in this amazing cloud. And I do think that I've met everyone somehow, except for Damla. Hi, could you just let us know where you are in this world? Yeah, um, I'm in Chicago, River North, and you're right, this is my first time here. Well, welcome. Thank you. To our cloud Zendo and our dragon Zendo that forms one practice body. Thank you. Thank you. A sangha flowing in this continuous circle of the Bodhisattva way. So I'm thinking about this flow and circle and all the lives that we're intertwined with, all the being that we're with. I've been wanting to just chat with you about Suzuki Roshi. Uh, Some of you may know who Suzuki Roshi is, and we even have someone with us, blessed to have someone with us who I believe spent quite a bit of time with Suzuki. Um, Last month was the anniversary of Suzuki Roshi's birth. And I've been feeling great gratitude and like a deep closeness to Suzuki Roshi and the practice that was offered by this dear Dharma, great-great-grandfather, Suzuki Roshi. So I thought I'd just share some of the words that have been teachings, experiences that I've been having, just hanging out a little bit with a few phrases and teachings from Suzuki uh, that have really been encouraging me. And I hope that they resonate with you (laughs) too. So Suzuki Roshi is a Zen, Soto Zen priest born in Japan who came to the United States. Um, He was born on May 18th, 1904. So in a whole other century, and died at San Francisco Zen Center on December 4th, 1971. He was 67. He was born in the year of the dragon in Japan. So maybe we have some really deep resonance here in ancient dragon Zen Gate. Never thought of that before. Uh, About 120 years ago, I think there are some Zen masters who lived 120 years. Maybe Douglas or somebody else knows, like Matsu or one of these long-lived. Douglas, do you know? Who was it? 
Zhao Zhou lived 120 Zhao Zhou, that's it. Yeah, Zhao Zhou. Uh, still, having spent only 12 years in the U.S., arriving in San Francisco, uh, Suzuki Roshi left us with so much. So I thought today I'd just do a little homage to this great, wonderful person, me. Um, he arrived in San Francisco in May 23rd, 1959, in his priest robes, <laughs> coming off the plane. That must have looked even more unusual in San Francisco in 1959 than it would today. Uh, a few months, actually, before I was born. <laughs> I was born August 23rd, 1959. Uh, and... Although our school, our family style of Soto Zen, which is what we sort of practice, uh, originates from Japan, previously from China, maybe previously from somewhere else. Uh, the seeds that Suzuki Roshi planted in American soil are unique and fresh. And our dragon practice sprouts and flowers from these seeds. There are many other seeds probably mixed in, some hybrid, but uh, we're figuring out in our time and place how to embody this practice, how to live this in our life and time, now 120 years since the birth of Suzuki Roshi. Um, so there's a book called uh, Cricket Cucumber, which some of you may have seen. And <laughs> when you open the cover, there's like a really delightful set of little photos of Suzuki Roshi coming to America. <laughs> Maybe I'll pass this around later. You can look at the pictures, but it's so adorable. He looks so happy <laughs> leaving Japan to come to San Francisco. He had flowers in his hand, not in his hair. <laughs> um, but Chadwick writes, Suzuki Roshi came with no plan. <laughs> no plan. Just with confidence that some Westerners would embrace the essential practice of Buddhism as he'd heard it and learned it from his teachers. Suzuki Roshi had a way with things. Plants, rocks, robes. Furniture, walking, sitting, a way that gave a hint of how to be comfortable in the world. Isn't that beautiful? How to be comfortable in the world. You know, how to be intimate with everything and meet it with openness. Um, this in and of itself, spending time physically with such a teacher, and maybe Zengyu will share some of his experience with Suzuki Roshi. Um, but I imagine his presence, this hinting at being comfortable in the world, is enacting nonviolence, enacting friendliness enacting intimacy, walking, sitting. I heard he liked to move rocks around. 
Tassahara, putting on his robes, having tea, dealing with us wild Zen students that I imagine my dream is that he was centered in non-duality, centered in inclusivity. You know, and in our culture, inclusivity is a big word. It's got a lot of connotations, but I think we can explore the furthest reaches of that in our Zen practice together and encourage each other to do that. And I feel that uh, Suzuki Roshi would be happy about that, perhaps. Um, Being centered in non-duality, there's a comfort, an ease, a closeness, and a softness in everyday life. There's a kind of tenderness that happens uh, in that. But also, we only do this in relationship with everything that we encounter in this body every day, every second. We have that opportunity for vitality and naturalness. (laughs) And if you feel sometimes that you don't have it, that's okay. Won't necessarily know you have it. Won't be able to grab onto it with the mind gripper. But still, it is sort of a directionality of our of our practice. I think the patience and settledness that is part of our zazen practice is really part of this key component. Maybe is a key component to truly feeling comfortable in the world. That doesn't mean there won't be pain in your knee, but you or your back after you sit a while, but you get intimate and comfortable with that and moving in a world that will support your pain and your joy. So here's another offering from Suzuki Roshi in Crooked Cucumber. It actually begins with this quote, from Suzuki Roshi, that the teaching must not be stock words or stale stories, but must always be kept fresh. This is real teaching. And uh, that freshness of the moment. And even though there are stock words and old teaching stories, I think Suzuki Roshi brought a liveliness to them. So believe it or not, Suzuki Roshi also taught the old teaching stories known as koans. Uh, And in the great archives that exist of his transcripts of his talks, um, I once in a while check those out when I'm looking at a teaching story. But I wasn't actually looking for anything. I just kind of stumbled upon uh, actually a piece of calligraphy by Suzuki Roshi, and then I hunted it down, and it led to a teaching story. So I'll share the teaching story with you. I think he taught from his heart and experience. That's where the freshness seems to arise. Um, So here's a teaching story that's both an admonition and an encouragement. The admonition is 
don't be too comfortable and smug. <laughs> but the encouragement is keep practicing wholeheartedly with everything you've got. <laughs> That's my interpretation, but I'll leave it to you to see what arises for you. Uh, so here's a story that I came across that apparently was a talk that Suzuki Roshi gave on this teaching story about 60 years ago in February of 1964. Uh, and it, you can actually see a mimeographed, typewritten Sangha newsletter from San Francisco Zen Center called Windbell. And handwritten on this newsletter is Suzuki Roshi's calligraphy, you could say, or comment, handwritten, really kind of lovely. This also, this talk could have been recorded on a cassette tape, if anybody knows what those things are. (laughs) (laughs) And this is, uh, for those of you who are ready to Google this story, I'll, I'll tell you the story. It is uh, case 46 from the Blue Cliff Record, Jing Ching's Raindrops. And the wind bell lists the, it says, commentary by Reverend Shinru Suzuki, master, Zen Center. <laughs> Probably couldn't get away with that, master, you know. We don't even reverence a little much for us secular uh, Buddhists here. But nonetheless, that's what it read. And here's the story as it's written in this uh, transcript. So I'll tell it the way Suzuki Roshi, I think, told it. Attention. Jing Ching asked a monk, what is the sound outside the door? The monk said, It is the sound of raindrops. Jing Ching said, All sentient beings are deluded by the idea of self, by the idea of the world as subjective or objective, or the world as permanent. Mm -hmm. It's like this monk is like, Raindrops, (laughs) aren't they great? And the teacher's like, Blah. You're deluded by an idea of self. But the monk, so, so Suzuki Roshi's commentary is this. Jing Ching had seen through the monk who thinks he's not caught by the objective sound of raindrops, who is actually caught by the sound of raindrops in his subjective world. Now, we have to just trust that this is what Jing Ching the main teacher here, although the monk is also a teacher, uh, was up to. The monk said to the teacher, how about yourself? (laughs) It's always a good comeback. How about you, teacher? (laughs) Uh, In other words, uh, this is in, in the text. It says, in other words, I have raindrops in my clear mind. This monk still thinks. How about you? Uh, and Suzuki Roshi also comments, Jing Ching is just listening to the sound of raindrops. There is nothing but raindrops. The monk 
Oh, and then Jingxing said, people may say I'm not deluded by myself or by the raindrops. And people might say this. He doesn't say they're right. And the monk says, what do you mean by you are regarded not to be deluded by yourself? And then the comment says, the monk can't quite understand why Jingqing doesn't definitely say that he is not deluded himself and that he hears the raindrops clearly. We might say all-inclusively. We might say where non-duality and duality meet. Uh, and Jing Ching gives this really wonderful answer. Even though it is not difficult to be free from the objective world, it is difficult to express reality fully on each occasion. So in the middle of this page, Maybe, uh, David Ray, you could pass out, and, and Bo, you could share Suzuki Roshi's comment of, written comment of this statement, which I think says so much. <coughs> and this picture, oh, you can see this duration. It'll, it'll come out. Oh. <laughs> oh, thank you. Need your glasses? Yeah, I'll share it with you. Ah. Uh, so this is handwritten in the middle oh, of the mimeograph wow, wow. statement. And it reads like this. Give the monk 30 blows, you know, of the teaching staff. And all these exclamation points. It is difficult to express reality fully on each occasion. And then after each Word is a period. So this emphasis. Um, on the importance of this statement. Written in this kind of amazing handwriting. I call it calligraphy. Because it's so fresh. And so direct. And so loving. Really wanting to express this reality and to keep encouraging this monk, encouraging us. Now, I will confess that the idea of hitting someone with the stick to wake them up is really uncomfortable for me. I will probably not practice that, I hope, in my lifetime with a physical object. But still, this encouragement to be present right now uh, is the 30 blows. And the invitation to have the humility to actually explore how difficult it is. It is difficult to express reality fully on each occasion, in every breath, in every corpuscle. If that's all that Suzuki Roshi left us, that would be a teaching for the lifetime of most humans, human bodhisattvas that we are.
in this, I'll just share a few more words from this mimeograph uh, teaching in the wind bell. Imagine if ancient dragon, if you received in the mail, like some grainy mimeographed, you know, typewritten with type that doesn't quite look so pretty. We have on all of our word processors now. Imagine receiving that in the mail and then with this writing on it, give the monk 30 blows. It is difficult to express reality fully on each occasion. I'd love to receive something like that. Uh, And that this was, you know, people were cranking this out by hand, you know, not just MailChimp, whatever whatever chimp is behind there doing it, you know? So there's this, this legacy that we have already it's so amazing. Um, and Suzuki Roshi made a comment and said, when my master and I were walking in the rain, his teacher, his teacher would say, do not walk so fast. The rain is everywhere. So he even shares this personal story of just a brief interaction of walking in the rain with his teacher. You know, we've been so isolated in the pandemic. We're all sort of uh, agoraphobic in some ways. And we keep all this distance and, you know, we have umbrellas and raincoats. And I think, what would it be like for us to walk in the rain together? Open. Uh, This other piece of this little story where Jing Ching doesn't give a pat answer, doesn't say he knows it all. There's room and humility for him to miss the point, to not quite express reality fully. And the appreciatory word from uh, Suzuki was when the voice of the raindrops covers the world, an expert cannot give any answer because he himself is also the raindrops. Even though you say that the voice of the raindrops is nothing but your mind, that is not yet a perfect answer of full, complete understanding. And maybe it's never complete. Now our answers, our interactions, our being with the world, with this bird that's singing outside the window that appears to be outside. Maybe we never have the full answer. And there's something kind of relieving in that. You know, we don't have to be, have it all, have it all together. Always know what we're doing, like Eve said. (laughs) You know, maybe we don't have to know. Uh, But there's an effort that we're being encouraged to uh, explore and possibly embody in these teachings. So here at Ancient Dragon, we have a lot of study. We have a lot of really super educated people with lots of experience, uh, thinking about things, studying things, studying the Dharma, uh, and scholarship on the Dharma. However, for me, it's the way that we are together with each other. How we are in the Zendo, how we are in the cloud, 
<laughs> I'm looking at you, even though when I'm looking at the screen, so I'm like, how do I look at the cloud? Oh, you know, but we have this cloud. All of this, washing dishes, enjoying tea. Even during Sashin, when we served tea, people who were participating from cloud at our meditation retreats could have tea, and we were sharing this together in our sendo together. How we grieve together, losses we've had of people and other beings that we love. How we've been aging together. <laughs> how we are endeavoring to figure out how to respond to the difficulties in our world, like nuclear waste, you know, ecological disaster, systemic depression, or oppression, not depression, that's probably a better word, uh, that brings all this practice together and how we are together feels very close to, I think, what Suzuki Roshi was up to, spending time together. Now we have a venue to do that in the cloud, but we learn how to bring forth this freshness and vitality of the Dharma. This is the flowering of the seeds planted by Suzuki Roshi. And we learn and support each other in our Sangha, in our community, uh, in learning together how to be comfortable in the world of duality, centered in our boundless Buddha nature. So um, before we move to some sharing and discussion, I just want to repeat this story again. And this is uh, another person's translation. It's Shohaku Akamura's translation. Um, and again, it goes like this. Jing Ching asked a monk, what is, what sound is that outside the door? The monk said, the sound of raindrops. Ding Ching said, sentient beings are inverted. Inverted. Imagine what, what's that like? Inverted. They lose themselves and follow after things. So we lose our true self grabbing after comfort, discomfort, this and that, stalking the next big thing, rejecting things that are uncomfortable. Then the monk said, what about you, teacher? Jing Sing, Jing Jing said, I almost don't lose myself. The monk said, what is the meaning of I almost don't lose myself? And Jing Ching said, though it, is, though it still should be easy to express oneself, to say the whole thing has to be difficult. So give the monk 30 blows, my friends. <laughs> it is difficult to express reality fully on each occasion, 30 blows and 10 words. So keep practicing. It's my encouragement to myself. You can join me if you'd like. 
and discover what makes it difficult to express reality fully on each occasion. Also discover the occasion, the causes and conditions of expressing reality fully. That could keep you occupied the rest of your life. Discover your limitations where not quite, not quite, I miss that, almost quality. And you can be like that monk and think you hear the raindrops completely or think that you see the flowers in the garden or clearly hear the sound of the bell. And then 30 blows. Can you feel the unique breeze of reality? 30 blows. Until 30 blows becomes the sound of the wind in each flower. The feeling of raindrops covering the entire universe, which was happening when Suzuki Roshi was walking with his teacher in the rain. So enough from me, <laughs> more than enough. My, I'm endeavoring to make my Dharma talk shorter and shorter, so I apologize even for the length of this one. But I also want to thank everyone very much for supporting each other to do this difficult, impossible thing to express reality on each occasion <laughs> for supporting yourselves to uh, respond with boundless compassion and wisdom in this wild world. It's a wild world. That is our life. So thank you, Suzuki Roshi. And uh, thank you very much, Bodhisattvas. And please offer your experience, your reality uh, in our discussion, if you'd like. So thank you. And would anybody like to offer something? Zengyu. Ah, Zengyu, great. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, thank you very much for your talk. Um, I'd, I'd like especially the, your, your opening comment about freshness. I think that was Suzuki Roshi's greatest gift was that he came, he was able to see us with very fresh eyes without having uh, too much baggage involved and that he was able to make us see, see ourselves in a fresh way. There's many, especially now, Zen has been in America for this long, and people have written many books about it, and we've all read them and studied them, and we all know the the the, the written answer, the one that the, the verbal answer, the, but the real the real answer to the raindrops is is inexpressible in words, but it is expressible in the moment, and and that freshness of the moment was what he was very what Suzuki Roshi was very good at to catch to catch you in the moment. He might, he might say yes to one person and no to the other person. He might say this or say that, to, but it was all fresh at the moment to that individual, exactly, because we all have a tendency to, to, to stray to the left or to the right or, you know, to sag this way or sag that way. And he, would, he was very gentle, uh, unlike many other teachers, very gentle in, in, um, and, the, and, and reporting on our on our condition to us in a way that we could hear it. That saying, saying, 
you know, saying a turning word in a way in which people can hear it is a, is a great is a great gift. Is a great is, is extremely difficult to do, and those that are able to do it are are very are very generous. So it's it's um, and it all comes it all comes from our practice having having practicing whatever it is you're practicing it doesn't matter whether it's you know the basic thing of zazen or folding paper or eating dinner or or practicing martial arts or or whatever it is that you're practicing to always especially in zazen to always be observant of whether you're whether you're slump whether you're slumping to the left or slumping to the right or 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 the do uh repeating some habit that you've picked up that you're not really aware that you were doing. And we can help each other that way too by pointing out um, areas where we where our understanding is is a little fixed or a little rigid or a little little one-sided. Anyway, he was he was extremely generous in his teaching and I'm deeply grateful to him for it. Thank you so much for bringing us Suzuki Roshi a little closer. Thank you. Could I ask you a question? Sure. I just wondered if you, if anything comes to mind that you'd be, you know, comfortable sharing with us, like an, an experience you had or words that Suzuki Roshi expressed that turned you in some way. Well, there, there are many of them, but one of my favorites is that in the early days at Tassajara, we we ate breakfast in the zendo, and with ori- with a bonafide orioki, and they would put out milk and honey and gamasio salt uh, on the on the tan, and then uh, they would come in and serve you know a cereal of some kind, and then a soup and and sometimes a vegetable. But anyway. Uh, one morning, the the serving group forgot to put out the milk and honey, and and so we were all sitting there eating. And Sukri said, "Oh, he says, oh, I'm so glad that you have realized that a taste of oatmeal is so is, is so special and all by itself that you don't need to put milk and honey on it." But he, he never he didn't say anything about it. He didn't say, "What are you silly people doing covering up your oatmeal with milk and honey?" He waited until we we forgot, and then said, "Oh, it's, it's so wonderful that you discovered that for yourself." <laughs> so, so that was sort of that's sort of the hallmark of his teaching. He, he would do things that he would never. I mean, we were a bunch of wild, crazy people. I mean, it was just <laughs> the six the sixties, and, and we're in our twenties. And anyway, um, and and we would do some pretty pretty stupid, crazy things. But he he never chastised people directly. He always waited for us to find. To do something right, and then he would praise it. Hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. The only rules that he had at Tassajara was: don't smoke marijuana and don't catch the fish. <laughs> that, that, that was that was it. That was that was, that was the only rules. I even bet at least one of those rules was broken on occasion at Tassajara. No, no I, I know. I think there was those were pretty closely obeyed. I I, 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 I I don't really know of anybody, but as far as anything else goes, I mean, people would order ham on a town trip, and, and people were sleeping <laughs> with each other, and people were doing all kinds of crazy things. But um, there were they. Uh, no, no more, there was no fishing tackle, and, and I never smelled marijuana down there. Mm-hmm. Great. 
Well, thank you very much for that story of your life. Um, anyone else? And, and oh, Asian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to. I wanted to comment on the rain. Um, my daughters went to the Taylor Swift concert last night and we were talking to them last weekend and saying, Oh, it looks like it's going to be like great weather and you're so lucky. And they let us know that apparently Taylor Swift really likes rain and really likes doing concerts in the rain. And and apparently these rain shows are like a special coveted thing. And so they were debating whether they wanted to be at a rain show or not. And, um, and The same thing is true, you know, for any time it rains. You know, there are some of us who are like, oh, no, I was going to, I had a picnic. I've I've got like 20 people coming over to my backyard. What am I going to do? And then there are people who are saying, oh, you know, we've been in a drought. This is so amazing that it's finally raining. You know, my garden is is wilting. Mm -hmm. And so rain is never really just rain, you know, that, and, and, and so, I like this this exchange about you know we if we if we think that we can view something dispassionately we might want to look a little more closely. I think rain is a great example because it does bring on feelings for that are that are pretty readily accessible. You know, even if we're grateful that we have a roof over our heads in the moment. Um, but but I appreciate this story very much and how um, yeah we can't. It's very hard to say anything about rain because fully, you know, because we're really just sharing ourselves, you know, and our, and our perspective in that moment. You could probably sing us a rain song. (laughs) I want to know, have you ever seen the rain? (laughs) I don't remember the rest of the words. (laughs) Everybody coming down. Something, something, something. See, it's very difficult to express yourself fully, even if you're singing a song that somebody else wrote. And it's difficult not to express yourself fully. (laughs) Right. Raindrops keep falling on our heads. Ah, that's a good one. They sang that at my seventh grade graduation. (laughs) Oh, great. Anyone else have something to offer? It made me think of something. Uh, Kathy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So Bo, can you move that camera towards Kathy? It Thanks. was that, um, you know, what would have been a more yeah. thoughtful answer? What would have been an answer that was more in the moment? You know, and at first I thought, um, I thought of the rain and then I heard the drops. And then a more thoughtful answer might be, my master asked me to consider what that was. You're kind of describing the process that we go through, that our attention is not on the rain before it's brought to the rain, mm-hmm. and to be aware of the things that brought our attention to the rain, the steps we went to to be aware of the rain. Um, and that made me think about my own personal experience recently. I'm older than a number of people I encounter on a basis. And even some people in my own age range I'm around are a little on the right side. <laughs> 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 Two brothers who are a little. Anyway, uh, 
the, the re- so sometimes when I get asked questions these days, I tend to it, not that I'm. Well, Kathy, perhaps you could just raise your voice a little bit so okay. the cloud can hear. I was going to say that that sometimes when I'm asked a question, I think of it and I think of stages of answers of it, and and my experience has been that people kind of get through one of them and say, well, what about this, this, this? That there's a tendency to want it to go fast and to be in a list form mm-hmm. and not to be something strapped. And so that, I think, says to me where we are a lot, because I do the same thing with other people. Sometimes when they're giving me a more thorough answer and, and they pause and I'm going, wait, you left out. You know, it's like the, the inability to pause and listen and follow a thought. I think that's part of this story. Mm-hmm. Nice. The inability to sink into it and stay and slow down. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah. Jerry. I was just really struck with... We'll need a little elevation of voice, please. I was really struck with all that Suzuki left behind, considering he was only here 12 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you think about the San Francisco Zen Center, the Sahara and the farm, and all of the other branching streams that came from here, it's a whole... I mean, he really generated a lot of energy and a lot of growth from like just you know, some people come in the world and they just the whole world explodes from their mm-hmm. efforts. It's like wow, that really struck me. Well, and I, I have heard that this is, and maybe you know this isn't correct. Paul might know better. Zangi might know better. But I, I heard he just gave people did all this stuff. <laughs> He just showed up <laughs> and, and and encouraged that, encouraged them to be themselves. Is there a comment? Thank you. Um, yeah, it was all it's all very individual, depending on the person. Um, I remember one time at the San Francisco, we had the, the old synagogue where, where the temple was back in the in the sixties. And after Zazen there, we would all file out through his office and bow to him one at a time as we were leaving the Zendo. <clears throat> and one time, as I was going out, he saw me. Usually his their expression was he saw me, and he stopped and he reached down to the wastepaper basket and brought out this flyer that he'd gotten from some Japanese store, all in Japanese with color, colorful flyer for the sale of God knows what. I don't remember it now, but... It was just a, a, an, ad, an advertisement. He gave it to me like it was a great present. And I kept it that way as a great present. Um, so he was always a, he was always attuned to the moment of what would, what would, what would work in the moment. What, was, what would be the response of the moment? Thank you. Eve, so I, I thought that connected. Uh, I'll get to that how you opened, that you said he came without a plan. Yeah. And what then you said um, in, in Jerry that he, but he had the ability to respond in the moment mm-hmm. and somehow, and the ability to, I guess, encourage that in other people. And 
maybe, you know, it wouldn't have worked out the way it did if he hadn't come in that particular moment and, you know, to San Francisco in the 60s. But, and I guess I was thinking that, you know, we should give ourselves permission, <laughs> yeah, to not know um, whether what's going to happen when we show up, but, you know, whatever, but to, to be able to respond and, and, and be okay with whatever happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I live in a world where, you know, the people are in the strategic planning and like, mm-hmm. we can't do anything until we have a mission, vision, um, uh, statement with objectives right. and it kind of drives me nuts sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It will drive some people nuts and some people need that mission mm-hmm. and plan. And I think Suzuki Roshi said, if you need that, that's probably okay too. Mm-hmm. You know? to know, but you know, for us that always to be open, like this morning, there was no one in the dough on seat. So I'm like offering incense going, oh, who's going to ring the bell to start Sazen? But fortunately, David Ray was to the rescue and uh, did that. And so, you know, that kind of, you know, working together and using what we have in the moment, whether it's a flyer in a language you can't understand, that's a precious gift. Um or not. And is our Eno now going uh, to light some incense because we'll have service? Okay. Um, so, oh, one thing I did want to mention was Jing Ching's last words of I don't quite, I almost. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this person being very intimate with the student, not pulling some power play of like, I know better than you, but they're engaging in a, in a mutual relationship. And maybe Jing Ching was also learning from this student. I would say, if not, that would have been a problem. 30 blows for Jing Ching if, if Jing Ching wasn't learning. So so there's that, that intimacy of of. You know, we're not just one-upping each other, but we're helping. Mm-hmm. Well, Adam. So the question was, what is the sound of the ring outside the door, right? Mm-hmm. So that implies that they're inside while they're having that conversation. Yeah. And you can still hear the sound of the ring inside. Mm-hmm. So... Is the door sort of a metaphor for like non-duality? Like you can still hear the rain inside. It's still the same sound. It's just blocked by the door. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is now <laughs> because you pointed this out. So this is how the freshness comes to the teaching. There's a lot that could be said. I don't want to go into some, you know, explanation of doors and sounds, but but I am happy that you're offering that possibility of, yeah. And think about it, you know, we have all the windows open. We could hear the sound of the rain if it rained. It's getting a little darker. Maybe it will rain. I don't know. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, yeah. So you can take any little bit 
you know, it could be a sound, it could be a smell, it could be a taste, it could be a touch, it could be a thought that's entering in and out our gates of awareness, of, uh, you know, conventional reality. Yeah. Thank you. David Ray. I have to say this, I'll get to, uh, and I know that you're a lover of Proust because I remember you mentioned it recently, and he talks about how <laughs> senses can awaken uh, memories. Mm-hmm. I am going to be sitting with the smell of mimeograph fluid all the time. <laughs> and all the thoughts and feelings of being in elementary school and, and you know, uh, turning that crank and, and taking quizzes on those papers and, and that weird light blue ink yeah. and, and quizzes with lines drawn by rulers that were never straight and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And um, yeah, and, and this, these stories that you're telling us mm-hmm. about Suzuki Yoshi are from that weird, you know, weird, crazy middle 20th century world with its weird technologies. Uh, and just, I'm just, I'm just thinking into that. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And have to explain that to people who don't know what, you know. <laughs> Live long enough and you'll have to explain what was going on when you were in your middle age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then it's fresh again. Mm-hmm. In, in that moment, the freshness and the vitality arises. And thank you for sharing that with mm-hmm. us. I would just like to follow Kathy's following up remembering those days it seems to me the biggest difference is uh, pace you know that the pace of things was much slower then you had to take time to mimeograph you had to pass the pages out you had to be sure everybody had it you collected them again now it's like you know people google on their phones and, and <laughs> things are just coming so fast so there's not the time to contemplate a lot of things in the way that i think we do Maybe, but you know, in Zazen, I'm sure a few people are like, this is going so slow. Won't that dawn ring the bell? <laughs> or it went too fast. I want to sit 10 more minutes. Anastasia? Yes. Um, just really briefly, I, I all, I'm always amazed at what we do with time and language. Mm-hmm. I think the time is the same mm-hmm. as what we're doing in the time. Mm-hmm. And I think we still we have, I don't think it changed. I like, it's just sort of what we do with it and kind of attempt to master time <laughs> by making it but it's always the same. It's never really changing for us. Which is could be seen as a blessing or an opportunity. So time is like the raindrops that cover the entire universe. <laughs> or the drops are what we do with it. Who knows?
Mark? <laughs> I see your finger unmuting, perhaps. Hi, Mark and Karen. I um I enjoyed your your talk this morning. And and I thought there was a great teaching in the um in the little note that he made and um that you passed around and where because you said it was 1964-65 when this took place. So he had, you know, English was a second language for him. And and I don't think any of the, you know, what what he wrote there, I think each each thing made uh Each thing that was there was there for a reason. And as he says, it is exclamation point, exclamation point. You know, it is, bam, bam. Mm -hmm. And then the use of the, after each word, you know, the, um, uh, what he did with each of those. And at the end, the eight exclamation. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like the teaching of, of Dongshan, just this is it, and and there was a little teaching just in that note, you know. And I think about as I've read about him and and the stories and Crooked Cucumber, and you know, so much. What there was, there was something behind each action, each interaction with people, and um, and nothing was by accident. I don't think. You know, there was a deep teaching in, in pretty much whatever he did. And I think just that little note had that in it itself. Thank you, Mark. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought about just projecting the note and saying nothing <laughs> for this Dharma talk. Uh -huh. But I didn't want you to feel uh, like I was not <laughs> engaged with you. But, and, and I believe, and, and maybe Zengu also could, could shine a light on this, but it seemed to me this was non-contrived, that this was a natural expression, that Suzuki Roshi didn't say, I'm going to put a period after every word to show this. I think it's just what arose out of life and out of experience. And if we pay attention this is constantly happening in our world. Mm -hmm. If we're awake or open and inclusive enough, every single thing is teaching us mm -hmm. constantly. And we're teaching it. But I'm getting a little bit excited. Excuse mm -hmm. me. <laughs> I, I think you're very right about everything is teaching us. Mm -hmm. And he... He was very aware of that, and so he took every opportunity where we would say something that was a little too far or, or too, too short, a little too long, or a little to the left, a little to the right. He would use that occasion to say, think about it this way or think about it that way, or, or you know, to, to, he was always, he was always teaching. He was always, he was always thinking about teaching. That was, that was his whole life was teaching. And when he was dying at the end of, he said, when, when you are dying, you, get, you teach even better. He, he, he felt that he was not a strong enough teacher. He, he brought in a teacher from Japan 
to be a strict, a strict Tatsugami Roshi, mm-hmm. to be a stricter teacher. He felt that he was too soft. But for us, he was for us crazy Americans that who have where our egos on our shoulder. Uh, he was he was uh, just the right just the right person. Yeah, us Americans, you know, we're very sensitive. We want to be right all the time, mm-hmm. and so even someone just letting us find out for ourselves where our edges are, and not not stick our noses in it, provides enough safety for this dharma to seep into our body like raindrops. 